Hi everyone and welcome to one more episode of the Oplane podcast where we talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, I would like to remind you that all previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other aviation stories are available on the Oplane website. That's oplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. Check it out and, and by the way, you can also subscribe to the newsletter packed every week with interesting stories with a strong focus on innovation and sustainability in the aviation industry. Today we are going to talk about airports, airports in plural, and about a city that for many is the world's business capital. I'm talking about New York City. And as you possibly know, New York City is served by a number of different airports. JFK, it's the largest and the best known, but there is also LaGuardia, Newark, and a few smaller ones. And overseeing all this airport system is the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, a public organization that also manages ports and other pieces of infrastructure in these two very important states. So to talk about this very complex airport system, today here on the podcast, we have Charles Everett, Director of Aviation at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. With Charles, we talk about New York's airports, of course, but in particular about the massive reconstruction program that several of these airports are undergoing simultaneously. This is a huge project that will upgrade New York's airport infrastructure significantly, and it will leave the US financial capital with a top-class airport system but it's best if we hear it all directly from Charles. So now, without further ado, let me welcome him to the podcast. Hello, Charles. How are you? Good. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much for making time today for the podcast. I know you're a super busy man, so I really appreciate that. You're heading the aviation side of things at the New York, New Jersey Port Authority, which is a, is a, is a massive institution. I would like you to, to give us a bit of a, a background, first about your role there, and second about the uh, New York, New Jersey Port Authority, because I think it's a, it's a very interesting institution. I'm, I'm sure that many people are familiar with it, have heard about it. But for those of us that don't live in New York, I think it's it's a bit difficult to understand how it works because it, it covers lots of things like port facilities, airport facilities. Um, you manage all the airports in the New York area. So that that's that's a really huge, huge thing. Um, yeah. Can you please give us a bit of background? Certainly. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to talk about the Port Authority and the uh, airport system, two of my favorite subjects. So I currently serve as the Director of Aviation for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. We operate probably the uh, busiest, most complex airport system in the world. Includes five airports. That's uh, John F. Kennedy International, Newark Liberty International, New York LaGuardia, Stewart International, and Teterboro. Previously, I served as the Deputy Director of Aviation, and I also was the uh, General Manager of JFK for about four years. Prior to that, Mm -hmm. I worked at various other airports. I also worked... uh, with the Federal Aviation Administration in Washington, D.C., dealing with national airport system, uh, master planning, environmental issues, and funding for capital improvements. So the Port Authority was founded over a century ago in 1921, when the states of New York and New Jersey received consent from Congress to form this interstate agency to develop and modernize the entire port district to improve commerce and trade. Port district is roughly centered around the New York Harbor and the Statue of Liberty, and it includes 1,500 square miles across both states. In addition to the five airports uh, that I'll talk about shortly, we also operate the PATH, the interstate commuter rail system, which connects several major hubs in New Jersey to New York City. We have six container and auto shipping seaports in New York, New Jersey. 
We have seven bridges that connect New York and New Jersey, including the world's busiest, the George Washington Bridge, two vehicular tunnels, and two bus terminals, including the Port Authority bus terminal. A lot of people, when you say Port Authority, they, the first thing they think about is the bus terminal. It happens to be the busiest bus terminal in the world. And finally, we also have the uh, real estate interests, including the World Trade Center campus. Is it a public organization? So are you owned by uh, the, I don't know, the government of uh, New York, New Jersey State? So what, what's the governance structure of, of this organization? It is a uh, public authority uh, that's established by both the states of New York as well as New Jersey, and it was approved by Congress. And, and so we report to both the governors of the state of New York as well as the governor of the state of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to airports, you obviously have all these airports under your um, responsibility, under your watch, but you get into the day-to-day -day management of the airports or you just uh, uh, play a role in, let's say, the more strategic decisions as we are going to talk now about all the major reconstruction projects that are currently underway at different terminals of, of these airports. What's the degree of involvement? Because I think, uh, for example, at JFK, some of the terminals are managed in a way by specific airlines or other operators. So what's the role here between the public Certainly. organization that you represent and, and the different private operators that are making use of those infrastructures? Certainly. The Port Authority is considered the airport sponsor. And so we own and operate those facilities. We have uh, 12 airport terminals across our five airport system, most of which we only operate one of the terminals at Newark, but all the others are uh, privately uh, operated by either an airline or a private development company. So you assign, you're like an overseer, so you kind of assign who is going to manage them, for example, now with uh, all the decisions about which terminal is going to be reconstructed or redesigned, stuff like that. Is that, that right? That is correct. We have a commercial arrangement with the uh, terminal operators, and it's unlike uh, probably any other airport in the country with respect to how we do it, but we certainly retain authority for operations and maintenance. So We handle uh, maintenance on the airfield, uh, snow removal, ice control, uh, capital developments with respect to the airfield, emergency response with law enforcement, as well as uh, aircraft emergency. So those are kinds of things that we do. And the uh, private interests are mainly focused on the terminals for the airports. And Getting into the what you say, the airport system, this very complex airport system that you are managing. For people like me, for example, I don't live in New York. I don't. I don't live in the U.S. Actually, um, but for me, New York. Uh, when you think U.S., very often, what first thing that comes to mind is New York. Maybe because of the movies, and obviously because it's the the, the largest city and the and the main financial center. But um, curiously enough, many of us, when we travel to the U.S., very often we are likely to end up transiting through another hub. Could be Atlanta, Chicago. One thing that strikes me uh, watching it from from outside is that actually New York has a, a, a very complex airport environment. It has lots of traffic. It's a major capital, but it, it looks like it, it has been lacking a little bit like a, a major global hub in the way that, for example, like cities like Singapore or Dubai or even Frankfurt have managed to develop. So um, what are the reasons for that? And am I right to assume that now all these reconstruction, redesign processes that are underway are kind of trying to change that so we can expect New York to play a bigger role in, in this connecting traffic, in this long-haul global air traffic that, that keeps growing? 
Well, well, why don't I start just with some context about the airport system, because a lot of people don't really understand which airport serves which function. Most mm -hmm. air travelers are very familiar with our three major airports, JFK, Newark, and LaGuardia, which have been operating since the first half of the last century. But we also run Teterboro, which is the busiest general aviation airport in the United States, and Newark, Newark Stewart International Airport up in the Mid-Hudson Valley of New York State. So we're mm -hmm. still waiting to confirm our final numbers, but in our initial estimate for 2023, we expect to surpass our previous pre-pandemic record total from 2019 and set a new all-time high of about 144.2 million passengers served across the four commercial airports. Mm -hmm. and that's pretty interesting because a lot of times when people think about air traffic in the United States or across the world, they'll say, well, Atlanta is the largest airport. But when you look at our three major airports combined, we kind of exceed that level of traffic. And so as a system, we carry a lot of passengers. So we'll break, we'll also break the record for most domestic passengers served in a year with about 95.2 million passengers for last year. So mm -hmm. that's that's pretty significant in terms of a level of traffic that uh, we actually carry. Mm -hmm. And is it because, I mean, this fragmentation, is it because of each of the airports was kind of growing a bit organically? Um, so I, I'm, when I'm looking, for example, uh, at a map of uh, JFK, like, in a, like a diagram, um, you can see all these different terminals. Each of this kind of assigned or managed by a different airline. And it, it looks a bit chaotic from outside. I guess there's a logic there. So what's been the process that has led to this distribution of different uses, different functions between the different airports, uh, trying to understand a bit from outside, yeah, the main logic behind it. Well, I would say that a lot of it had, had to be organic as time progressed. When you look at our airport system, Newark is at is 95 years old, uh, LaGuardia is 85, and JFK is 75. So in the past 100 years, a lot of this uh, aviation infrastructure development has occurred in New York and New Jersey. And uh, there's while we, we, we do airport master planning, a lot of it, as I would say, has been organic and happened over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right now there's there's a huge investment into um, redesigning, redeveloping some of these airports, and yeah. it's quite impressive that you've got um, major infrastructure projects going on simultaneously or almost simultaneously uh, at LaGuardia, at Newark, at JFK, and we are talking about tens of billions of dollars. So it's not no small yeah. stuff. I mean, you you have like really redoing whole terminals, building entire new terminals. Why is it that uh, we see all this rush of activity these last few years? And who is funding it? I mean, maybe that's a bit of a broad, too much of a broad question, because I guess each, pro each project has its own dynamics. But what are the drivers behind all these um, simultaneous investment in all these Certainly. projects at the same time? Certainly. So, so when we look at our redevelopment program initiatives, uh, we're talking about 30 plus billion dollars uh, and I guess I could start with LaGuardia, which in 2014 mm -hmm. was described as something like being in a third world country by then Vice President Joe Biden. But by the time Biden made his visit, we already were planning La LaGuardia's future and launch would, would become an $8 billion public-private investment that delivered two new passenger terminals there, a more efficient airfield, and a better roadway network and more. Now, the return on that investment for that project uh, in 2021, LaGuardia's new Terminal B one of the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organizations 
pre-Versailles, the Global Architecture and Design Award for Best New Airport in the World. Now, Delta has performed similarly spectacular work combining the old Terminal C and D into a unified Terminal C at LaGuardia that is wrapping up work and will open the last of its concourses this year. And then you cross the river over at Newark, our new Terminal A recently celebrated its first year of operation. The new terminal features approximately 1 million square feet of space and offers 33 gates that can handle larger aircraft. It also features a modernized check-in area and security and baggage claim area that can handle an estimated 13.6 million passengers per year. So there's also state-of-the-art passenger amenities, local artwork, digital technology, and dining and enhanced retail options, including six local retailers from Newark, Elizabeth, and Jersey City. So the, mm -hmm. so the reviews of the new space have been growing. Just like last month, ter the new terminal was awarded the UNESCO uh, Pre-Versailles Special Prize for the terminal's exterior. Newark's redevelopment program also includes a $400 million integrated parking garage with new centralized rental car facilities and a $175 million uh, airfield paving that added acreage, which was much needed, to the airfield to enable more efficient aircraft movement. Now that brings us up to JFK, which is also yeah. getting a $19 billion public-private makeover, which already is well underway. We just started that recently. And there are four basic terminal redevelopments. The biggest single project is going to be uh, the $9.5 billion new Terminal 1, which is under construction, will be built on the sites of the old Terminals 1, 2, and 3. That'll primarily be an international terminal with 23 new gates, and more than 2.4 million square feet of terminal space. A significant amount of work already has been completed with the uh, old Terminal 2 and Green Garage demolition. The first gates at Terminal 1 are expected to open right around 2026. Mm -hmm. Another brand new terminal, the new uh, International Terminal 6, will connect with JetBlue's existing Terminal 5. That $4.2 billion project, also under construction, will measure 1.2 million square feet and feature 10 new gates. Two cranes are currently erected, erecting steel on that project. The first building concrete slab has been placed and drainage, hydrant, fuel, and utility work is ongoing, both airside and landside. So when you drive on JFK, you see a lot of cranes standing and working very diligently. That term, that terminal, Terminal 6, will open uh, its first gates in 2026. So Delta and JFK IAT have undertaken a $1.5 billion expansion at Terminal 4, the expanded concourse A adds about 15,000 square feet and 10 new gates. There's also extensive work being done to transform the concessions program there. And then finally, coming to okay. our last terminal, American and British completed nearly a $500 million expansion and renovation of Terminal 8 last year, having added five new wide-body gates and additional aircraft parking, along with 130,000 square feet of newer renovated terminal space. On top of uh, all that terminal work, which is being supported primarily by private dollars, as I said earlier, the Port Authority is investing billions on several supporting infrastructure projects. The most significant of those is what we call our Roadways, Utilities, and Ground Transportation Center, which will create new simplified roadway routing and a new parking structure. Now, we expect significant construction to begin early this year, which it has, and uh, be, to be substantially completed, I would say, by uh, mid-2027. So we have uh, made a major investment in diligently working to become a world-class airport system across the board. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of questions here. Um, 
you, uh, most of his work, as you said, is is privately funded. So yes. I guess it's uh, airlines are airlines and and I guess airport operators as well bidding. I, I know, for example, Terminal One. I read some of the airlines are directly involved in in funding part of that. Yeah, because they I guess they they are the ones that are going to be using it when it's ready. Then the other question: when the, all of this is ready, I guess by two thousand and thirty, more or less, all this whole setup is going to be yes. complete. Um, yes. What's going to be the, the combined capacity of all this system? You mentioned right now you you are handling 144.2 million for all the airports, well, even including the small ones, but let's say like yes. the, the three major ones. Um, what's going to be the theoretical capacity of the um, of the airport, New York airport system, when all this renovation is completed? Well, hopefully we will increase capacity by at least 50% with... Uh the developments that we have currently ongoing. And this is, I guess, growth that is already um, being planned by the airlines. Are, are you in this, I guess you're in discussion with airlines to um, build this capacity. Uh, what, what, what's the perspective here? Absolutely. Oh. Well, we have an ongoing conversation with all of our uh, stakeholders, tenants and partners. And it's very important that uh, we stay engaged as we work through this process. And we've worked hand in hand as we go through this, uh, these exciting projects, because, you know, when you're building on an airport, it's not like building somewhere else where you can just stop the activity and relocate. At an airport, you have to build while you have a major operation going on. So that's- Yeah, actually, I was was about to ask you about that, because all this work at JFK, for example, um, how you, I mean, if right now it's operating, I don't know how close to capacity it is, but if you're fully renovating- rebuilding Terminal 1, for example, you will still have all these activity going on at the same time. How, how you guys manage to do that? Um, the, are you... the customer experience is a significant effort for us. We've been focused on that for the last five or six years, making sure that we enhance the customer experience. And certainly during construction, that becomes even more challenging because you have to make sure that you are making the travelers a trip uh, as convenient as possible and, and that takes a, a additional focus. So we've invested a lot of energy in making sure that we are looking at travel patterns, uh, any types of diversions. We make sure that the signing is exemplary so that people can figure out how to get from point A to point B. If a facility like a garage is going to close, we make sure that we replace that facility in kind and in terms of the volume of that facility. We make sure that we are working in terms of social media and communicating with the public so that they are aware of what these detours or what these changes are. And we have people on site to uh, provide information and and assistance. We work very closely with the Port Authority Police Department to make sure that we can accommodate traffic. And even when there are bottlenecks in front of the uh, terminal frontages, we work very diligently to mitigate those as quickly as possible so that we can get the traveling public to their flights as close to uh, their departure time as possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, the airlines haven't uh, had to relocate, for example, uh, airlines that are in Terminal 1, they continue to be there while the work is underway or they have had to? Yes. There, okay. There's a phased approach to the operation and to the construction mm-hmm. project so that as we uh, start to work in facilities, start demolition, there's a relocation that occurs. Just like the air train, we had to shut down one of the stations while we were doing the work and that will go on and it will move around the airfield as these projects are developed. 
Okay, I see. Um, sorry, I interrupted you earlier when you were talking about the work together with the airlines to make the best use of this uh, extra capacity that are that is coming on stream. Yes, I was just saying that yeah. we we continue. It's a, the the dialogue with our partners is ongoing. It's sometimes daily and is very intensive in terms of making sure that uh, we are taking advantage of uh, every opportunity that we get to use available capacity and to. Mm-hmm make sure that we seize opportunities to uh, communicate and uh, move the project forward, stay on schedule. Staying on schedule has been very important. And when we, for whatever reason, uh, shipments of steel or supplies or whatever, we find out how we can make that time up in the schedule so that we stay mm-hmm. on track. From what I see, most of the activity, construction activity is happening on the, let's say, on the land side. What about the air side? Has there been any expansion in capacity, new runways to bring more planes? Or it's more focused on the passenger experience by... Primarily focused on the passenger experience. There are no new runways included in the uh, mm-hmm. redevelopment uh, program. However, we have been able to... One of the challenges is... Uh, the ramp apron where aircraft mm. uh, taxi to park and where they are loaded and unloaded and having enough parking spaces for aircraft, particularly wide body aircraft has been challenging at some of our facilities. And, and so as part of several of these terminal projects, we've included both uh, internal gate capacity in a terminal as well as ramp apron parking so that we can mm-hmm use our space more efficiently and effectively and get more out of it. We can bring in more aircraft uh, in certain airfield reconfigurations. Uh, we have made doing such things as uh, high speed taxiways and things of that nature help us to reduce delay so that once aircraft land, they can get to their gates faster. And so those are the kinds of improvements that we have uh, been able to progress as a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm assuming JFK and Newark are not slot constrained, I guess. I, I know LaGuardia is a bit different, has other type of restrictions. Um, what's the situation? Because, for example, I'm thinking now about Heathrow has this major issue with the slot scarcity. I don't know if that's the case as well at JFK, for example. How many aircraft can you take per hour, for example, at peak hours? I don't know if that's oh, a, oh, something. Oh, you're talking about slots. All slots, of our airports yeah. are slot constrained, yes. All of them are constrained, yeah? All of the major airports, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I just because I was thinking about uh, London Heathrow, where there's a major, major constraint um, for, for growth. So I, I, I was not familiar with the situation, for example, at JFK, whether right now, if you're an airline, you want to fly into JFK, uh, you need to... Slots are a commodity, and um, that's a, one of a, a top issue for us now because we've been working with the Federal Aviation Administration, United States Department of Transportation, on uh, because of the air traffic controller shortage... Airlines have been granted permission not to use all of their slots, and they will not lose them. And that has been a concern for us because when there's so much uh, air traffic demand, uh, there is a lot of people want to get back in the air. And you know, after the pandemic, and there's just a lot of people traveling. And uh, mm-hmm. the other issue is competition. There are certain airlines that uh, retain these slots and they don't use them, but they can't be used by another carrier. And so we certainly have concerns about that as well. And we want to make sure that we maintain competition and those folks who want to fly those routes and those slots are able to do that so that we can provide the level of choice that the uh, 
residents of the New York and New Jersey metro region have come to enjoy and appreciate. And so we want to make sure that we take every opportunity to permit the natural growth that's going to occur in our airport system to actually happen. Is there a mechanism to do that? Or once the slots are assigned, they are assigned forever? Or they are auctioned? Or wh- no, there's what's a-, a mechanism that's controlled by DOT. Uh, mm. And uh, okay. they can alter that on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. That's another topic that talking about growth, uh, as you know, uh, sustainability has become a, a very central issue. What's the approach you are taking at the Port Authority when it comes to, let's say, making the airports more sustainable or Certainly. to uh, accommodating these new technologies that might come on stream between a decade? There's a lot of talk about hydrogen electric aircraft maybe for the short haul. Um, what are you doing in, in this field to prepare for that scenario? So I'm certainly glad you asked about sustainability. You know, the Port Authority was the first public transportation agency in the United States to embrace the tenets of the Paris Climate Accord. An interim uh, greenhouse gas reduction target of 35% by 2025 was set and 80% by 2050. And so we are uh, very proud of our efforts. Um, you know, we have s- several current initiatives that we're expanding and planning, like ensuring more of the fleet of vehicles operating on the air side are electric vehicles. We have also electrified 36 shuttle buses at LaGuardia, Newark, and JFK, putting the th- Port Authority ahead of the curve with the largest all-electrical fleet on the East Coast. We're even adding uh, EV charging stations at our facilities for public and for hire vehicles like Uber and Lyft. Elsewhere, we're we're building more energy-efficient buildings and terminal facilities, generating more on-airport power from solar installations, and working to increase the use of sustainable aviation fuel by our airlines. Just this past November, Virgin Atlantic flew the first aircraft powered by 100% sustainable aviation fuel from London Heathrow to uh, JFK, and we were proud to be a part of that. It's interesting because they used... uh, Propulsion came from agricultural waste products blended with plant sugars and protein, which mm-hmm. allowing for 70% fewer life cycle emissions than conventional jet fuel. And we think, you know, this is certainly in the incipient stages of this uh, sustainable aviation fuel. But we think as time progresses, we will see more of this. Yeah, sorry. I wanted to ask you about that, about the sustainable aviation fuel. For example, in it looks like in um, most of the supply right now in the U.S. is in, in California for some legal framework reasons that make it more uh, attractive. But do you have currently at your airports any, let's say, regular supply of sustainable aviation fuel or planning to have so in the the very near future? We do not have uh, those supplies currently on hand, but they are certainly something that our sustainability folks are uh, busy evaluating, looking at and determining how we can support that. One of the things that we've done on the uh, aviation side is we've mandated the use of uh, certain percentages of uh, the ground support equipment by our tenants at certain periods so that uh, we can, as I say, be more conscious and more uh, supportive of sustainability initiatives across the board. Yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted you earlier when you you were uh, about to uh, finish with uh, talking about after mentioning the Virgin Atlantic flight that uh, um, yeah, I was just going to say ever. that, you know, for years we've been a part of a program that gives air passengers the ability to offset their personal mm-hmm. travel-related carbon emissions through partnerships with The Good Traveler, another big win for sustainability. So I just think, you know, all of it adds up and it counts and it certainly matters if we're going to reach the goals that we've established. 
Um, I have one last question for you, and that's uh, about the um, very, um, let's say, incipient eVTOL technology, because I know New York is possibly one of the top helicopter markets in the world. There used to be even a, a helicopter service between JFK and Manhattan. And obviously, these eVTOLs are being pitched with some use cases that well, one of the main use cases actually is the transfer between airports and city centers. So I'm just wondering whether you guys have any uh, plans for that to basically accommodate this potential new activity stream. Um, because I, I mean, some American carriers are committed yep. to to get United Airlines, for example. I think American Airlines they they have committed to get EV tolls in between the next five to ten years. So uh, how do you see this happening at your airports? Is there a plan yes. in place? Uh, is it is it feasible right now with the current legal operational framework? What can you tell us about this? Yes, I can certainly comment on that. But first, let me just say that, yeah, helicopter service between JFK and uh, downtown New York still happens. So that's something that's ongoing. But we like to think that we are well along in our journey of transforming our airports to best in class. But we recognize there is much work to do. So that means making ongoing improvements like redevelopment. Uh, but it also, you know, there's other things that, that we are trying to do. Like recently at the Newark, for example, we selected Doppelmeyer, a leader in a cable propelled transport systems, but the first phase of a process to replace our air train system at Newark. The air train Newark replacement program will replace the current system with a two and a half mile automated people mover that expected to open in 2029. You know, we're also doing the, the items that you just mentioned, we're preparing for the future of advanced air mobility. Things like vertiports and air taxis, electric vehicle takeoff and landing aircraft and the like. We recently hosted, this was back in November, an advanced air mobility industry roundtable discussion with representatives from 14 aircraft developers, operators, and equipment providers. We used the findings and feedback from that forum to develop our first ever Port Authority Advanced Air Mobility Roadmap which outlines our vision, opportunities, challenges, and priorities for the future of advanced air mobility. The roadmap gives a kind of high-level overview of the activities we are targeting over the next 10 years, as well as immediate next steps, such as developing a framework for how we'll go about selecting sites for, for our vertiports. That's a very important part of it. Our team is also ramping up our communications with advanced air mobility players across the nation and we're using those conversations to gather information that will inform policy, address challenges, and prepare for the safe implementation of electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft traffic, including at our airports. One of the big issues is, you know, when, when I talk about safety is we started to see a proliferation of uh, fires being started by these uh, electric bikes. And so we want to make sure that as we plan out these facilities, we have, uh, we have taken that into account. The Port Authority's airports represent nodes within a potentially vast future network of vertiports within the New York, New Jersey metro region and similar metro airports across the country. So this is happening in a lot of different places. And those nodes will be expected to provide low-cost intra-urban transportation that can potentially help relieve congestion and roadways. And at some point in the future, it could even be competitive with uh, four higher vehicles that are trying to get from our airports, say, to Midtown Manhattan. So designing, positioning, and building infrastructure will be foundational to establishing and growing these sorts of networks. For our airports, terminal infrastructure includes takeoff and landing areas that provide charging and efficient access to airport commercial terminals. We want to make sure that we link these landing and takeoff sites close to existing terminals. 
Some factors that we will need to consider when locating vertiports at our airports include the safe integration with the fixed wing commercial flights and ease of access to airport terminals. It should be no secret to you that we are within the, probably the most congested airspace in the world. And so we need to make sure that we protect those flight paths for the, the heavies, the commercial aircraft, but we need to make sure that we also are focused on integrating these uh, EVITALs, electric vertical takeoff landing aircraft, so that we can have that seamless, efficient transition for the traveling public. So in short, we're investing billions today and preparing for future investments tomorrow to keep the industry moving forward and to make sure that we are continuing to be sensitive to what the demands of the passengers are. Right. Well, I think with this vision of the future is is a the perfect moment to to wrap it up. Is this uh, roadmap uh, a publicly available document? Because if it is, I, I'm going to maybe post a link to it on the show notes so that people can can check it out. It has not yet been made public, but it will be in the near future. We are uh, doing some fine tuning and we have some follow up mm -hmm. conversations. I mentioned our uh, roundtable we had in November. That was mm -hmm. a, a joint meeting with everyone in, in a one room, if you will. But now we are having individual conversations with some of the original equipment manufacturers so that we can get a more in-depth understanding of their plans moving forward. The Federal Aviation Administration plans to certify the first uh, aircraft to fly commercially in late 2025. And we just want to make sure that we understand what the plans are so that we can make sure that our plans are aligned so that we can accommodate this activity. And certainly the, as we move forward, we can scale up to the extent that the industry scales up. Perfect. Well, we'll then follow what what goes on in this space. And I'll be posting information as, as soon as it comes out. Thank you so much, Charles, for, for your time today and for giving us this very comprehensive overview of, as you said, what is one of the most complex and sophisticated airport systems in the world, serving the world's trade and financial capital. So thank you so much again. Really appreciate you making time for this today. Thank you, Miguel. We appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. If you like this podcast, you can support us by giving it a great rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you get it from. And remember, you can, of course, subscribe to it. And you can also get regular updates through the Allplane website. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. We have a newsletter where we cover the aviation industry every week with a special focus on innovation and sustainability. So give it a go. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>